Welcome, you are about to enter the secret diary of a unicorn in the lifestyle. The desires and stories of a world hidden and misunderstood by most. We explore the lifestyle, swinging, kink, polyamory, through the eyes of Athena O, a unicorn who has been in the lifestyle for over 12 years. We delve into issues, controversies, and etiquette related to the lifestyle, along with stories and erotic real-life adventures from Athena and her friends. Athena is a former monogamous lesbian turned non-monogamous bisexual who's explored the lifestyle both while a lesbian and shares her transition to full swinging, dating in the lifestyle, and even encounters with polyamory as a bisexual. The O-Life is a lifestyle coaching events company helping you explore your sacred sexuality and guiding you to orgasmic living. We would love to be your go-to for advice, healing, and events to explore your deepest desires and feel welcome in this community. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unicorn Diaries. On today's episode, we have Master Joshua. People who work with Joshua achieve self-acceptance and are empowered to gain control and become active participants in their own lives. Through non-traditional sexual behavior, NTSB counseling, people achieve self-actualization and become the best, most disinhibited version of themselves. As director of NTSB for the Institute of Integrative Mind-Body Therapy, NTSB consultant and end-of-life doula, Joshua's work reaches a variety of people and has helped hundreds rid themselves of shame, see and embrace their identities, and live richer, more materialized lives. But before we get to that, here's your diary entry. It was May 22nd, 2015. I'd gone to New York to speak at an event, an event that I was speaking at in my real life, as I call it, not my kink and BDSM and swinger world, but for another event. And I decided to check out the swinging scene in New York City. Now, as you all remember, at this time, I was still a lesbian. I actually, my wife and I had just broken up. So I was single. And when I traveled, of course, I love to go to uh, swinging events and, and meet swingers and people in the kink community over going to a regular bar or an LGBTQ place because I felt more safe because I wasn't really um, one of those that really got into that world of LGBTQ as much as everyone else. I was still more into what you would call the hetero world, but not heteronormative to be clear. Uh, and so as a lesbian who enjoyed these ec eclectic kind of experiences, I really enjoyed when I traveled to be around people that were in that realm. So I went to New York and I uh, got a ticket, you know, as a single female unicorn to this event at a penthouse suite uh, in New York City. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that. I've come to find that some of the most interesting uh, swinging events that I have been to in uh, all of the world were in New York City. They were never what I expected them to be. Uh, this event in New York City, you walk in and what you think is a penthouse. And now I know what I do when I host an event and how I take care of things and how things are decorated and things are laid out and the experience that you want someone to have when you walk in. This place was, I don't, 
I wouldn't call it a penthouse. I, you know, my home in California and being here in California and living in Miami and the different places that I've been has not um, given me that def definition of a penthouse. But the one beautiful thing that came out of this experience when I walked in and I saw the random people that were there, there was definitely single guys and some couples. There was definitely nobody there that I really wanted to play with until I met Master Joshua and his girlfriend. So I'm going to bring Master Joshua on. We're going to talk a little bit about that first experience of meeting and then how we've kind of developed our relationship over the years. And we're going to dive into what um, he does. And so you can kind of really get an idea of what a master is, what am I talking about even, and um, how this has helped my growth uh, and the growth of so many others. So welcome, Joshua. Hello, hello, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be uh, to be here. So many years later. <laughs> so many years later. And very and quite a few experiences. Although we haven't seen each other live and in person in a couple of years, we had some fun times. Um, that we're gonna talk about a couple of those. I had a friend fly in one time and some different things, but that first event when we met. <laughs> Give your impression. I mean, because since you live in New York, right? So this is your hometown. This is your place. And I've been to other events. Like I've been to one of Joshua's events, a couple of them in New York City, and they were phenomenal. But this first one that I met him at was a little strange. <laughs> it was a little, it was a little creepy. The, uh, the guy, uh, I, the vibe that I got was the gentleman had access to this apartment in Chelsea. I believe it was 23rd street. And, uh, it was, the top floor of, I think, a three-story walk-up. And it had outdoor space, I believe, that was like roof access more so than than outdoor space. Uh, but it definitely wasn't a penthouse and it definitely was, I think it was an opportunity to, to try to get um, some action in his place labeled as a penthouse party. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, and I'm I'm glad that you were there because we connected and we yeah, joked I'm, about I'm it. Glad there's there. something always comes from everything, right? So even though there were like uh you know, two liter bottles of pop and some strange weird <laughs> things going on and not really any place that I would want to actually touch to like um do anything, I did meet uh Joshua and at the time I had explore had been exploring um you know, my first, as you guys know, if you listen to my podcast, my first experience with BDSM um, and that whole world um, had come probably right around, I think we I said 2009. Um, and so I was exploring things. I was, in, uh, you know, in that world. Um, but I, um, I had, I had done some training as a sub, you know, I had done some, um, some Dom work and everything, but Joshua really brought another element to my life when I, when I met him, uh, because uh, as someone who is a sexual, tra uh, sexual trauma survivor and thriver and someone who'd healed a lot of stuff through that, and I was still working through some of those things, uh, he really opened up to me uh, the idea of the safety that can come from having a, um, a master or a dom um, that is a male, because it was not something even at that point, especially as a le lesbian, that I was anywhere near comfortable with. So I'd love to chat a little bit about first, um, for those that may not understand anything about the BDSM world, um, what it means to be a dom and what a master, you know, why you're called Master Joshua 
Um, and then I'd love to dive in a little bit first into uh, the the healing work that you do uh, with like sexual trauma and, and all sorts of other things that you do um, and kind of how you got into this, because I think that your story is going to be really powerful for people. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I'll start from day one. How about, how about that? Yep. So uh, my relationship with stimulation started at five. Uh my aunt would come over and she had nylons on and I would rub her nylons and it stimulate my body and I'd get an erection. I found this story out years later when my mom would tell the story to my girlfriends. <laughs> so I know, I know my interest in stimulants started really early. Um, I started having sex at 12. And um, when I was growing up uh, in the nineties, the message around sex, around masculinity and being a man was the more sex you have, the more of a man you are. Mm. And where I was growing up, that's what I leaned into. That's what I believed because that's what everything around me was representing. So I started having sex at a very young age. Uh, this is actually my second time telling it from this perspective since I was able to process it uh, with a therapist, which is kind of mind blowing. Uh, awesome. And let me just get some water. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a child at 18. And I joined the Marines and her mom and I broke up. Going into the family court system to try to get visitation uh, was very traumatic. Uh Something that isn't talked about is what happens with these teenagers that have to go through the court system at such a young age around parental rights. It's a very harmful process. And what I realized is I, I was very angry towards women uh, because of that. The unfair process of trying to get to see my own daughter. And... At the same time, I was very sexually promiscuous and I was learning the power of sex, right? I remember the first time I was able to turn down sex was very impactful to me. Um, I felt as if women had all the power because of it. And in this moment, I was able to reclaim that power by turning down sex. Uh, and I wielded it for quite some time, years of knowing that if I'm a good lover, there is an attachment with that that gives me leverage. Fast forward a couple of years and I'm looking for more outlets of sexual exploration and BDSM fell into my life. In that time, as I was making connections, I was learning the value of communication of truth because I never manipulated to get sex. I never did that. But what I did was I made sure that I was the best that I could be because there's something about incredible, an incredible sex partner that is just hard to disconnect from. Um, when I started learning the importance of com communication and connection within BDSM, and I started holding space for those who seemed unattainable. 
I saw the responsibility that came with it too. And how they say Spider-Man has with great power comes great responsibility, right? And to learn that secret essentially of connection, just shut up and listen. <laughs> it's really quite simple, but it's not easy because we've never been taught that. I saw how much trust was being put into my hands and that is sacred, right? To, to have access to someone so intimately, things that they've never shared with anyone before. It's like, by this point of my life, I've determined that karma is real, that that's what governs my reality. And knowing that, that it can be such a powerful tool, it can also be a powerful weapon. And I want to say I made a conscious decision then, and this is years ago, years ago at this point, to, to, to stop doing things for myself, meaning to stop being selfish with, with my actions instead of doing what was right. Uh, I saw it come to fruition through it, through the BDSM community, through all the trust and respect that I was getting from the people that I was connecting with simply because I was giving them respect and holding space for them. What I noticed in that uh, professional domination fell into my life around this time too. So I graduated high school in 18. I was in the Marines for a period of time. From the Marines, I went into law enforcement for about 10 years. From law enforcement, I went into the private sector doing executive protection. In that time frame is when I picked up professional domination. Through holding space for folks, let me backtrack a little bit. In high school, you know how they ask, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to help people, right? So that's how I went into the military, went into law enforcement, and it never sated, it never hit the mark until I had a gentleman who reached out to me and asked me if I can dominate him and treat him like a dog. And we connected and we spoke, and I went over to his place to, for the session. And at the end of the session, he was crying, and he the way he he was curled up when I was holding him, you could see he was relieved. And it made an impact. And there was no sex. It wasn't right. Pen, it wasn't sex. I, I treated him like a dog. Like not in a good way, not pup play, but like degrading him and humiliating him. And the relief that he got from it was game changing for him. And at that point I felt I, I felt purpose, like a seed, like a sprouted. Uh, not knowing what that was going to look like, I pursued it. And what I realized is I was getting the fulfillment of helping folks through holding space for them and helping create these scenarios for them that they can feel their desires. They can, they can actually talk about it without feeling judged and we can build out on their experiences. Um, I don't do traditional professional domination where you come to me, you tell me what you're into, and then I dispense it. Uh, my process, has, as it's developed since then, uh, has a, like a five-hour intake where I need you to reflect on your life so that when we talk, you can tell me exactly who you are, where you've been, what you're going through, and speak to me like a human being, right? Because master sounds cool, but at the end of the day, it's all made up. Masters and doms and subs, they're all roles that we fill, we can play. 
because without a submissive, who am I master to? <laughs> Nobody, right? The same goes the other way. Without a dom, there's no so, no one to submit to. So these are all agreements. Not all of them. Some people manipulate this knowledge of BDSM to prey on folks who who romanticize or who don't ha don't do the due diligence of research, and you can fall into these traps of bad partners, and it happens. Um. So I have them complete a five-hour intake, and we sit and we talk at least for a dozen hours by the time our whole process is done. That's to include our in-person session. But the idea for me is I want to empower you with self-awareness so that you can continue your life and you can hold a standard where people have to earn access to your time and your body. Wonderful. So I want to and ask it's not about, just yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll let you go, but I want to ask one question. So for some people that might might not understand or, or are very curious at this point is um, you talked about your that first session that got you into, um, you know, looking into professional domination um, with the with the gentleman. And he wanted to be treated like a dog, but he felt relief. Can you speak a little bit to the. Um, because some people might be thinking, I don't understand that. Or what do you mean? Or, you know, like, how is that possible? Like speak to the, and I can also speak as someone who subbed, um, but I'd like you to speak first to him. And then I'll add a little bit of my own experience as, um, you know, as some of the things that I gained from being, you know, submissive, which I'm usually not uh, at that time. I was ne never. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way that it became healing it. So my approach to domination I'm writing a book called Healing Through Kink, and I'm working on a program to certify mental health professionals uh, to hold space for their clients, not just being kink aware, but actually going through a process of introspection themselves to understand what it is that their clients are going to be going through. Because to reflect is to bring up the past. Suffering and pain and shame are locked in a lot of that. So the idea is for the mental health professionals to understand through personal experience of reflection, to have compassion and to understand the weight of what they're asking their clients to disclose or to process. What happened with this gentleman was I sat with him and I spoke to him in a way that he could share with me without feeling judged what he was looking to experience. When he was able to speak it to me, he felt accepted. Because yeah. I didn't look at him sideways. I didn't judge him. I said, okay. And I treated it like it was he was ordering a milkshake. Yeah. Uh, the process of connection, building a rapport with each other also goes into the therapy element of it. The healing comes from the conversation and the validation, the acceptance of the person. For them to say, wow, okay, I'm not the only one. And or this person understands me. And the, the, and the fact that they don't have the judgment, right? Like that's such a huge thing. I work with um, as a as a someone that's done uh, therapy and has trauma background and um, has all these degrees. I've worked with people with like porn addiction or um, you know like sexual issues and things like that. And because I can come in from a place also of like you're the first. They say you're the first person that's ever I've been able to tell the story to that I don't see that look in their eyes or the judgment or the the you know or or feel like. I have to be shamed or uh, that I did something wrong, you know? And so if there's such a power in that, and that, as we call it, holding space for someone like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
the therapeutic and therapy part come after in the execution of the scene. So he wanted to be, he wanted to express himself in a way that was an energy outlet to crawl around on all floors, on all fours and to eat out of a dog bowl and to drink out of a dog bowl and to have his head scratched. He was, he was, a. Uh, he worked for the government and he was a senior management. So to go into this role for him was it allowed him to be directed in action as opposed to having to make any executive decision himself. All he had to do was follow direction and to feel less than because of his superior position at work every day. Um, at the end of it, to be told it's okay to desire that as he had his head in my lap and to tell him he's not wrong and he's not broken because he wants, he needs to have this intimate expression of the shift of power. So that's, that's how, that's how that process worked for him. Beautiful. And I'm going to share a little bit about the um, first time I had um, a session with uh, Joshua, because I think that uh, for me, I had experienced lots of sexual trauma and abuse as a child, and I had been working through it for many years, and I had 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 believed like really and had healed a lot of things, but at up until the point when I met Joshua, even though I had done um, I had um, done some submission work, at, or you know had been in that space so that I could learn how to flog people and learn how to um, you know, to be a dom in certain, in certain situations and, uh, have those experiences. I had never let anybody flog me. I had never had fire play. Um, and I, and I had definitely never, um, wanted to submit to a male energy or a man. Um, I, and that was still something I, for me, it, before this experience, dom, that wanting to be a um, in the dominant experience and the, a dom or, you know, in that was because I wanted to be in control. Um, I still wanted to be in control of my body, even though I, I wanted to, um, you know, uh, obviously pleasure for my, uh, for the submissive and for things like that, but it was still about in control for me. And Joshua made me feel safe enough to um, have, you know, my first experience, like he was a, a, first off an incredible flogger. Um, and, you know, but I, and I was something that I truly enjoyed, but he's still one of only two people ever in my life that have actually flogged me. Um, and, uh, you know, it is one of those things. And, and as someone who is now um, on the other side where I'm very submissive in my uh, sexual life, because I'm very powerful in my regular life, um, running companies and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's, um, I'm, I'm definitely very submissive, but it's more in the swing world than it is in the BDSM world, because I don't have somebody, um, that I trust enough, like I would Joshua, um, to do that because you get, like we were talking, what Joshua said is you get a lot of people out there that say, oh, I'm a dom or I'm dominant, or, um, you know, I have these things and they don't even understand what that word means, right? They're, they're using that as a way to, um, abuse people sometimes or um, just to get what they want, uh, you know? And so there's a lot of experiences over on this side where the world of BDSM and the world of kink have been 
have been uh, tarnished because of people using these terms that are not actually a part of this world. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to bring uh, that about. So I had a very healing experience with Joshua, healing to the point that the next year in 2016, I'll tell you a little another story, journal entry diary, June 22nd, 2016, I flew to New York City with my kid to go to um, the gay pride in uh, New York City for the first time, take my kid there because they're gay um, and then fly over to Europe with them for their graduation gift. My, uh, my child at the time was um, just about to turn 18. So they were 17 on the verge of 18. Uh, and um, I told Joshua that I was bringing my sibling. I said, I'm bringing my sister <laughs> to uh, this event. And uh, I, I met and I, I walked in with my 17 year old child. I know you can think all you want about this, about being a bad parent or whatever, but let me tell you, it was not a bad thing in any way, shape or form. Um, my, my child at that time had a, a fake ID that said they were 21. So nobody knew that they weren't that the age that they were. I had gotten them the ID. Um, another long story about how that happened, but uh, uh, and to be clear, my kid never even actually used it. I actually had to buy stuff for them um, because they would never use the damn idea except for when I made them use it. <laughs> but um, I took them to this event and uh, they got to experience cupping, um, fire. Uh, they got to actually flog someone. And then I remember when they walked back into the sex room and they're like, oh, I'm turning around and going back out. <laughs> um, but it it opened up. Uh, a, an experience for my kid. We've had many conversations about it and I'll go into that in maybe another episode, but about how how that the, the bond that the two of us have because of my openness about being a swinger, about being into BDSM, about allowing my child to see that there's nothing wrong with these worlds um, has, has allowed them to become the person that they're meant to be. My child is transgender and allowed them to actually come out as who they are because I was so open as a parent. Um, and I'm not saying follow my parental guidelines and, you know, you can have your opinions about that, but that was what I chose to do. And it turned out to be the best thing for my kid. Um, so that experience that, you know, meeting Joshua in 2015, that then led to, um, me allowing myself to open it up and, and sharing this world, uh, with my kid, um, has allowed for growth in their life in, in an even more powerful way. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to share a little bit more about that story because um, I, th I just think it's fascinating. And I did eventually tell uh, Joshua later, you know, after my kid turned 18 and <laughs> I was like, by the way, that was not my sister. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you know, so sorry, Joshua, about, you know, not totally. <laughs> no, no. Thank you for following up with the uh, with the ID comment, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, oh, with, yeah. With that being said, um, so we host an intensive called the Power Exchange Academy. It was previously called People Before Kink. Uh, People Before Kink is the philosophy in which all of the work that we do is uh, built on, at least within the kink realm. Mm. Uh, uh, People First is a bank and they stole the name. So it's like, I can't use that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the idea behind it is what I learned doing professional domination is the space being held for the person is the power. That's where the power exists. And the power of healing and the power of validation. Um, that's where it exists. And during the pandemic, uh, my partner Kat and I, we developed, we further developed the program because we had kicked it off right before um, the pandemic hit. Mm. And 
through the pandemic, we fleshed it out even more to this weekend retreat where we teach the individual how to hold the space themselves and to do the introspection work. So essentially we're empowering the, the person to walk their own journey, right? So that they have the, the information for themselves about what's important for themselves. Yeah. Because you can always go to a party, someone can always do something to you and then you can go home or you can learn how and why and what it means to you. And then use that as the example for your connections for setting a bar to say, this person has to reach a certain threshold in order to, to again, gain access to my time and my body. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very powerful program. Um, and I, I bring that up because we had a mother and daughter come through the program mm -hmm. and, um, the daughter I met out in LA and she came to uh, DomCon, which is an annual uh, professional dominant convention. They have, it's actually biannual. They have it out in LA and then they have it in New Orleans. But in May, I was out in LA and I met this wonderful woman, Mary. She's young. She's like 21, 22 and uh, younger than me. Let me put it like that. Uh, 21, 22. And we had, had a great chemistry, great connection. And, uh, she came out to visit New York and she stayed with us and it was a great time. She went back and I invited her to come back for the intensive. And I says, said to her, why don't you bring your mom? <laughs> Not thinking she would ask her mom. <laughs> so sure as shit, she asked her mom. And uh, I was under the assumption that she had told her mom what type of intensive it is. Now it's called People, the Power Exchange Academy and it's built around BDSM, but the focus on it is building better lines of communication and the ability to learn to hold space, the experience of holding space. Cause all you have to do is go through it one time to have done it, to say, I've now held space and I understand the importance of it. So then that's the consistency for you. Mm -hmm. So we, we learn through that communication and introspection modality. And then we introduce all the kink modalities from that point. How do we communicate what we're looking to experience? How, how do we keep these lines open so that we can evolve and adapt with our partners in real time, as opposed to going on YouTube, learning, learning a technique and then figuring it out. Like the, the program effectively cuts three to five years off of a person's journey, because we're asking you the right questions that you need to ask yourself. So three days before they're, they're scheduled to come out, she tells her mom what kind of retreat it is, <laughs> intensive it is. And, uh, I'm on the phone. I, I'm on the phone with both of them, zoomed on FaceTime with both of them. And I asked Mary to, to step out the car to let me talk with her mom. And her mom's 50, 49 turning 50. She's about six years older than I am. So I sit, I sit with her on the video and I said, listen, at understanding where we're at as people in our 40s and our 50s, and at this point in our 40s, she's a single woman, she's dating. It's like, what we teach is communication. What we teach is how to hold space and the importance of being validated. Yes, it does have to do with kink, but that's because we're all into some sort of energy exchange. Mm -hmm. We want to know what it feels like. We're just showing you how it can be accessible. We're not going to, with me, you will never learn something you can learn on YouTube. Everything is about accessibility and how does it, how does it transfer to you? And she said, yes. And they showed up and they both stayed at our place. And uh, 
they had a great time. And at the end of it, this is one of the biggest compliments I've got. I could have gotten very ringing to, to what you just shared. She said, I couldn't ask for better people for my daughter to go on this journey with. Yeah. And it's like, that matters because we're trying to do the right thing. And we're trying to make a positive impact on a person's journey and relationship with sexuality and sexual identity. Yeah. So I, I, aside from the, from the ID, yes. I'm thankful that you <laughs> well, were able to trust a, it us. It was an actual too. real ID. So we went into the Bronx and had an actual picture <laughs> of my kid taken with the <laughs> yeah, real yeah. name, everything. The only thing that was- Yeah, no, no. No, no, I, I just, so you, so you, and it had a real scan code. So you, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble at all. I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative for the trust that you put in us because yes. it, to, to validate that about a person's identity is detrimental. Yeah. Like you have to say you're good. You're not broken. Yeah, exactly. So you are the director of uh, non-traditional sexual behavior at the Institute of Integrative Mind-Body Therapy. So tell us a little bit about the Institute and what it really means to be, to do non-traditional sexual behavior counseling. So I'm really, really excited. This is the first time I'm talking about this too. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Dr. Susan Kay. She wrote a book called Am I Normal If? That book came across my lap after being on a podcast with a host and she recommended it. And uh, after reading it, it was incredibly impactful. I was introduced to the author and we hit it off right away. She was part of the movement to legitimize massage as therapy and out away from sex work. Like she worked with Masters and Johnson. Uh, there was a TV show, Masters of Sex on Showtime about a decade ago. She was part of that, that process. Really, really important stuff. Uh, so connecting with her, she invited me onto a board with her that's creating an ASEC program to present to mental health professionals around working with somatic workers, separating, it's called the triadic model. You have the client, then you mm -hmm. have the head, the neck up specialist and the neck down specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, and we work in conjunction with mental health professionals. I was invited out to uh, San Antonio about three weeks ago with my partner, Kat. And while I was out there, we connected and I was able to show them and talk to them about my approach to BDSM and the healing elements. And they got to watch me do some rope. Uh, and we had a lot of discussion, a lot of uh, connecting and, and uh, rapport building. When I got back to New York, they reached out to me and they offered me this position as a, the director of non-traditional sexual behaviors. Uh, non-traditional sexual behavior is code for BDSM, meaning it makes it accessible to folks who find BDSM scary, mm. right? Because it's all, I mean, it's, unless it's missionary, it's all non-traditional, right? <laughs> and, um, yeah. So my role now is to create a curriculum that will certify mental health professionals to be able to not only be kink aware, but to be kink experienced in the, in the process of introspection and reflection, mm. because that's where the hurt is. That's where the, the fear and the pain lies. Everything we've been shamed out of everything we've been told we, we can't be. Mm -hmm. Now we're trying to reconcile it decades later. And the therapist has to understand, has to have compassion for the person they're working with to understand the, the need of this journey. Because mm -hmm. sexual identity, it's not, 
it's not how we like to dress, right? It's we don't wake up choosing what we're into. It's energy exchange in the universe. It's just, it's built into us. Just like orientation, I'd say even more so than orientation. I think orientation in and of itself is a construct because you limit yourself in connecting with a human being based off of their gender, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and then gender is another thing. It's like, it's like a if whole we could just see the yeah. human being, yeah. if we could just see the human being, it's like, yeah. they're so, we're so valuable as we are. Yeah. Well, I love that you're doing this. And um, as someone that works in mental health, uh, I want to be a student. I'm, I'm in. I would love to learn this stuff. So you let me know um, when this is coming out. And I'm going to sign up because I could never learn enough about this. And although this is a world that I love a lot and, um, you know, everything, I would love to have that element added into the work that I'm already doing uh, in this. So this is fantastic. Um, the other thing that you say is that you are an end of life doula. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what that means. Um, I work with a lot of channels and mediums and I work with a lot of people that work with end of life uh, and different things, but I'd love to hear more about your experience uh, around that and um, how that plays into the rest of the things that you do. Absolutely. So uh, end of life doula fell into my lap uh, around COVID uh, during the pandemic. It started off, the seed was planted with the gentleman who's in our leather family. He's in his mid-70s and he's a gay man and he's never come out the closet. He's never said to peers or friends, uh, peers or, or family, I'm a gay man. And it's always pained me thinking that this mentor of mine can die without speaking his truth. Mm -hmm. So every time we've sat, not every time, but every now and then I'll bring up the idea of getting people together so he can do it. Uh because I know he still carries shame around being a gay man. And it pains me the idea that if he transitions to afterlife one day, when he transitions to afterlife one day, if he doesn't get to say it, it's like you take that with you. And it pains me because he's a very important man to me. Uh, during the pandemic, a friend of mine had a child and they asked me to come and take photos. Now, they also had a puppy by the name of Max, who I had known since he was a little puppy. They're all puppies to me always. And, uh, <laughs> fast forward about 13 years and I show up at the house and Max not around. They have another adorable dog, but Max isn't around. So I look over and I see Max sitting on a recliner with a diaper and he can't see me because he's blind. Mm -hmm. So I walk over to Max and I get down on my knees and I'm crying because I've known him. I've known him for years. And he smells me and he, you can see he gets active. So I sat with him for a few minutes and then I went and took the photos. And during that time, Max came and found me and he put his head in my lap, like against, pressed it against my thigh. And it was deeply moving, right? So on my train ride home, I was, I was sad because Max was old. I was also asking myself, um, How can I reframe that so that I can I can remember all the good stuff we did and not seeing him as he's older? And what I had to do is ask myself, well, what do I believe happens after death? I was sitting here during the pandemic and I said out loud by myself, I wish someone could see all the work that goes into this. I wish they could say they were proud. 
This meaning the program development, the professional domination, where am I going with my skill set? And I said it by myself. So that was in June. August to September, I was going to see a friend in Arizona to do a guided journey uh, with a plant-based medicine. Uh, and we were on the phone. I haven't spoken to them in like three years. And they're a medium. And for me, mediums, I have to see it to believe it. So, you know, here, no, whatever. So before we're hanging up, and I didn't tell anyone what I said months before. Before hanging up, she goes to me, Joshua, there's a message for you. And they want me to tell you that they see all the work that you're doing and they're proud of you. Life changing. My jaw dropped because I don't doubt faith. Yeah. But sometimes it's really fucking hard to stay holding on. Right? Yeah. And uh, this was what I needed when I needed it. And fast forward a couple months and I realized I lost my time of fear. My, my fear of time. I lost my fear of time. Meaning I wasn't in a rush to get things done because some, someone proved to me that there's something beyond this existence. Mm -hmm. So that gave me permission and belief to function differently. Like it gave me knowing, not even belief, knowing that, that yeah. there's something else. So in that process, in that time, I wanted to ask myself, especially reflecting on Max when he, when he, he died, when they put him down, how can I how can I make a difference for folks who are transitioning out of life? Because I sit with folks who are in midlife mostly, some who are younger, trying to come to grips with their reality. Well, what about the folks who are transitioning out advanced age or advanced illness who have things that are incomplete, like speaking their truth, like their identity that they've been so shamed to share? I can be a safe space for that because this is what I do. And I can tell you through everything I've witnessed for the last decade that it can be very isolating for folks and depressing and anxiety inducing and shameful that like, this is the biggest gift I could give someone is just to sit and witness their existence and say, I see you. And I accept you as you are. What I want to do with that experience is I want to, after doing it for however long, I want to write a children's book based off of all the lessons I learned from sitting with folks who are looking to bring life to completion. Because those are the ones who can change, make the difference. Is if we had a, an, a, an, a, a children's book with a solid message that yeah. can plant that hope in them before it's extinguished by big government, yeah, society, big government, yeah, <laughs> for sure, absolutely. So, um, tell me one of your. Uh, I remember at one point in time you sending me um, a snippet of a letter um, from somebody that had written you uh, because of a powerful transformation. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit because I come from the world of I work with a lot of sexual trauma. I'm on the board for uh, several trafficking organizations. Obviously, you know, I work in that world. Um, and the power that comes around that. And I know you've worked with, um, you know, and sexual trauma of women and men. Um, but I remember at one point in time, you getting a letter and stuff. So if, if you're, if you could, if you could share, um, like maybe a, a, a story or a journey about around how this work has helped in, in that realm um, and how 
and also I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, the difference between how it's not, it, this can be very healing for some people, but if it's not done right, it can be more detrimental too. And so it's got to be, make sure that you're finding the right avenue for this. So, um, I get, I get messages pretty regularly, uh, from folks who either, if it's based off a conversation or based off of shared experiences, things that have helped, uh, reframe trauma in their life or acceptance around circumstance. Um, there's, I'm trying to, if I, to remember if I can recall the one we spoke yeah. about. Yeah, you there don't was, have to recall the exact one, but any any of the surgeries, I know you have many. Yeah, <laughs> there was a there was a woman who I was working with who had been uh, sexually assaulted and raped, and uh, her inability to be vulnerable and to be intimate with men was hugely brushed up against because uh, of this experience from her past. We've sat in and we we sat and we spoke for hours on end to understand the circ the circumstances, the situation, how it unfolded, what she felt could have been different, uh, understanding that there's nothing to take blame for. Um, and what I presented was an opportunity to recreate the scenario to where she can fight back and win. Uh, the fallback to that is if grief or trauma or her being triggered the flight fight fawn or freeze triggered she could safe word and stop everything ultimately and that's while all the circumstances will look vastly different the power behind the reframing is the person's ability to either change the direction of what happened in the recreation or to stop it altogether to say red, to safe word, and say, we're done with this. That's to take back control of the scenario. Mm -hmm. There was a, a person I was working with who enjoyed forced haircuts. Meaning, let me start with a little backstory. Their, their parents were World War II vets. The father was a World War II vet. They were uh, born in the 60s. So they were more flower child identified. And he grew his hair long. He had three sisters who had long hair. He was a flower, flower child. His father, being the World War II vet, said boys don't have long hair and would shave his head. Um, this is the opposite of reframing and how it can be detrimental. He wanted to work with me because his uh, partner of a few decades essentially was on board initially was on board with the forced haircuts, allowing them to cut the hair however they wanted, and then stopped being on board with it. And things weren't pretty. Uh, this person wanted to hire a professional dom to, through the trauma they experienced as a child, what they wanted to experience was to be forced and to be teased and forced into receiving a haircut themselves for having long hair. What they were telling me they wanted was over a period of four to five sessions, a little teasing here, a little snippet there. And then when they were ready, they would say, okay, cut my hair. And that's not reframing trauma. That's playing with the trauma. And I said, 
it's only going to prolong your circumstance. And at the end, you're still deciding when it happens. It's like what you need is the autonomy to be taken away from you so you can take the autonomy back. And I said, what if you sat on the chair and I immediately run the clippers right over your head? That's going to scare the fuck out of you. You're going to say, stop, no. And he sat with it for a second and he didn't want to admit that what he was doing was trying to play on his fetish versus working on what was tra traumatizing to him from when he was a child. So that's one way that it can be, it can work against a person. Another thing is the intention of engaging is the person's intention on disassociating. So like for someone who's been abused to be, to be flogged or caned something painful more often than not triggers the response of the fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn, but ultimately back to the circumstance that you were yeah. trying to get away from to begin with, right? So it's like the intention of the journey is important. And it's not like there's, there's a right way or wrong way to do things because people are going to make their choices anyway that are based, built off what they think is best for them at the moment. They're just hard lessons to learn. It's just very personal. Every single person has a different experience. I, I In my uh, therapy, I do reframing, but we do it in quantum timeline reality. So we actually could take people into um, into their energetic systems and then through the mind and take them back and reframe a situation so that it, it clears out of the um, energetic field and out of their subconscious mind so that the um, so that the, uh, you know, body sees it different and you're doing it on a somatic level, um, which I love because we do somatic, we do somatic work also, but our somatic is different. And that's why I, I really love the fact that I want to take this training too, because to add in that kind of um, somatic in that way, it was going to help with the reframing that I do in my work um, in such a, in such a powerful way. And I love that you're, you know, you're saying like, this could, this, is this something that is therapeutic or is it something where they're playing with their trauma? And, you know, those are the things that like when you're looking, if this is something that interests you, if you're looking to um, work with your trauma or heal something, make sure that you're really researching the person that you're going to and that you're going to work with and that you're going to find this to know that, 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 um, that they know so that you're not re-triggering so that you're not, um, I've, had a lot of clients that have come to me that even worked with just psychologists who were trying to heal a situation of trauma and had an, 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 an inadvertently had it re-triggered instead of healing it. And that's the goal is, is that we don't want to put you back into a space or, um, you know, put more of a point on the trauma and what already happened. We want to open it up. We want to heal it. We want to release that energy on all these different levels. Um, so really pay attention to where, um, you know, where you're paying, uh, where you're going. Um, uh, a couple of the places where you can find out more about uh, Master Joshua and the Kink Collective and what he is doing in the world, you can go to masterjoshua.com, kinkcollective.net, and ssdce.org. What is ssdce.org? So that stands for Sanctuary for Spiritual Development and Consciousness Expansion. Okay. That's where I do all the non-kink focused uh, work. Awesome. Okay, great. Um, and then what is your Instagram? Uh, Master Joshua NYC on all social media platforms. Okay, on all social media platforms. So uh, I want you guys to check out Master Joshua. Um, one more thing. We're not quite done yet. 
he would just had a book. Oh, I had it somewhere. Well, anyways, um, you just had a, a book uh, written about uh, written by someone uh, that was working with Master Joshua. It's called Surviving Master Joshua. Am I correct? That's I just yeah, no, they, I I'll give a little. <laughs> it, it's my slave. It's my former slave. Uh, the book is called Surviving Master Joshua: The BDSM Memoir of an Unfaithful Wife, and uh, it's it's we're still together. They're just not my my slave anymore. Right. Uh, we, right. they're they're like they're like my knight in shining armor. Yeah, love it. Well, I ordered uh, the book, an, and so I'm excited to to read about that. <laughs> it's an incredible book about redemption, about being human and making mistakes, and and making the adjustments to live for forgiveness and self forgiveness. Awesome. So one final diary entry before we leave today, and this is New Year's Eve. It was December 31st, 2018, and I was in New York City for a month. I was speaking at a conference. I was keynoting at a big event, and I decided to stay in New York for a month. And my best friend, Joe, decided to fly up from Florida to uh, come experience, uh, you know, New Year's Eve in New York City because we he had never done that. We'd never done the thought we were going to see the ball drop. By the way, that's a nightmare. Don't ever do that shit. We did not do that, <laughs> but we were like, what are we going to do on New Year's Eve? And so, of course, I reached out to Joshua, and they were having a uh, party at um, this beautiful spot. Now, this was a really beautiful spot. It was like a white on the inside, and it was in this really gorgeous place. And that, um, you know, you walked in, and there was. Um, you could hear the, you know, the thud of leather and the sparkles of electricity and all these wonderful things going on. And people were you know, welcoming and there's people tied up and hanging from things. And um, but my friend, jo uh, my friend Joe had never he knew all about my life. Right. I took him to his first swingers event in uh, Miami, but he knew nothing about the BDSM world. So I brought him into this experience and he starts looking around and he's like freaking out. And he's like, uh, what the hell am I going to do? And he's he's like. And, 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 and Joe is a very, you know, macho man who, you know, is like as tall as I am, um, you know, he, he doesn't get scared by many things. And he walked into this thing and he's like, I'm going to get my ass beat or I don't know what's going to happen. What are they going to do to me? And uh, I'm having, I'm having fun. I'm, 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 you know, playing around with people doing different things. And all of a sudden I realized my Joe, Joe's gone. Joe's disappeared. My God, what happened to Joe? And I'm also, all of a sudden, I'm super worried. I'm like, oh my God, I lost my friend in New York City. He's not in this place anymore. So I get on the phone and I'm like, Joe, where are you? And he's like, I'm down at the Taco Bell. I ordered everything off the menu. All of the things that I'm sitting here with all of it, I don't know what to do. I can't, I, I'm like, my God, Joe, get your ass back up here right now. Get your fucking ass up here. I'm going to put you on a horse and beat your ass. <laughs> And uh, so he ended up giving all of the, he literally ordered everything on the menu, gave it away to all the homeless people on the street, to, brought his his butt back up to the room, uh, got a little bit of a flogging. We had some fun with him so that he could, um, you know, so that he could kind of see the joy of BDSM and have a different experience. But my favorite part about the whole thing is, is when we were leaving at the end, uh, I, I don't remember who it was. And I think maybe it was your girlfriend um, decided to give him a gift. <laughs> and so she gives him a dildo and he's like, a dildo? He's like, I don't even understand. What am I supposed to do with a dildo? And I was like, I don't know, but I guess she'll figure it out. And they're like, well, we just want, you know, since you were so brave to come, we figured this would be your gift. So <laughs> we leave 
to, and we go on the train and I'm staying over, um, we're staying in um, like Williamsburg across the, you know, so we got to go get the catch the train to get back across over to the other side. Um, and we get on the train and he pulls out this dildo and starts, there's that one, um, there was a, a, a young kid that had been at the event who was a sub who kind of fell in love with me kind of thing. It was like this weird, you know, strange, lovely puppy dog thing decided to come back to my place with us. And he starts like hitting him with it and hitting. Anyways, I took a video of this experience with the dildo on the train and it went viral. Um, And it was absolutely hilarious because Joe was so uncomfortable. He didn't know what to do. And at the same time, he was trying to be my protector because he thought that this young kid, he's like, why is this guy coming with us and what's going on? And you know, and Joe's a, somebody like literally a brother. I've never slept with him. Has never been anything like that. Like he just thinks that I'm strange and watches my world, but loves me and loves all of it anyways. Uh, and so he got to meet, you know, Master Joshua and um, and have a little bit of an experience. You remember that, Josh? Joshua? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're actually, I believe we're still friends on Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom today and for really opening the eyes to the world about what BDSM is and a non-traditional sexual behavior and how it's um, it can really change the way that people accept themselves and view the, view their lives. I'm really appreciative of having you on today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And it's been a pleasure being able to, uh, to process it. Because uh, like I said earlier, today's the first or second time I've shared uh, either piece of information. So it's like, it's really, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Again, go to masterjoshua.com, kinkcollective.net, ssdce.org, or check out Master Joshua NYC uh, pretty much anywhere on any of the social media accounts. One of the things I'd like to say, I'd like to offer is a free 30 minute consultation to anyone. Uh, all they have to do is just reach out to me and it can okay. be questions that you may have like it doesn't necessarily have to be to work with me but i like to make this lifestyle accessible and if 30 minutes is all it takes i'm more than happy to share that too beautiful so when you send that just let them know that you heard this on the unicorn diaries and that athena oh sent you bye everybody love you bye see bye. you on the next episode please like and share this episode of the unicorn diaries on whatever platform you're listening to leave us a comment and a review it really helps us out and if you're more interested in myself athena o you can find out more about me on instagram at mystical.charmer.official or OnlyFans at mystical charmer and you can also check out the unicorndiaries.com for more information and books and in all sorts of fun stuff. So again, like this episode, save me in your diaries, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.